11. Luke 11. Lord willing, time willing, we're actually going to do all of the end of Luke 11 and get into the first part of chapter 12. It's a long topic, but it's a topic that you don't want to uh, cut in pieces. You want to be able to do it all at once there. And so we'll get into that in just a few minutes of what we're actually going to be talking about. Now, with that being said, Luke chapter 11, and we're going to start here in verse 27. And it says, And it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. But he said, More than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Fathers, we just get ready to dig into this. We just pray as always, you would teach, we would listen, let the Spirit guide and direct into all things and all ways, and just guide our words. In your name, amen. Alrighty, we're talking here in verse 27, obviously, about Mary. And you know what? That can be such a touchy subject, depending on what denomination you were raised, depending on what your spiritual background is. I think the best way to handle this type of subject is just to say, what does the Bible say? Just stick to what the Bible says. And what we're talking about here in verse 27 is, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. Mary was blessed. She was chosen to get a chance to carry the Messiah. That is a blessing. That is a blessing that is recorded throughout all of history to be able to carry the Messiah and to be able to give birth to the Messiah. And what a blessing that is. Now, what we need to do, though, is make sure that we don't start adding extra biblical accounts to what the Bible says. We have a tendency sometimes as Protestants to downgrade who Mary was and sometimes tendency as a Catholic to upgrade who Mary was. And so we need to find that biblical balance there of what God is saying, and she definitely was blessed for what she got to do and the role that she had in the life of the Messiah. But the interesting thing about this is look at the word of Jesus. Jesus says in verse 28, more than that. So even more blessed than Mary are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's a big statement. Even more blessed than Mary, who had a chance to carry the Messiah and take care of the Messiah as a baby and raise God in human form, more blessed than them are you and I who get a chance to hear the word of God and keep it. Wow. That's a big statement when you stop and you look at it. See, the thing that was going on is verse 27, the woman in the crowd was focusing on the physical relationship that Jesus had. Where what we have going on now in verse 28, Jesus says, let's not focus on the physical relationship, let's focus on the spiritual relationship. The spiritual relationship with Jesus is more important than the physical relationship with Jesus. The spiritual relationship is what Jesus is saying here is important. And if he says, do you want to be blessed, verse 28, you do God's will and you keep it. See, in the other account of this story in Matthew 12, it says, blessed are those that do God's will. See, sometimes we take Christianity and we make it really complex. It's actually very simple. You want to be blessed? Two things. Do the will of God. Keep the word of God. How simple is that? Do the will of God. Keep the word of God. When you do the will of God and when you keep the word of God, obey it, you're going to be blessed. You're going to know Christ. Because as you study out the word, you realize who Jesus is. As you do God's will, you are being obedient to him. How simple, once again, is the concept of when you do what God asks you to do, generally speaking, things go better. When we get off God's plan for our life, according to what the Bible says, we generally run into the potholes in life. If we stick to the Word of God, if we stick to God's will, we're blessed. With that simple teaching point, is now a stepping stone to what we're going to talk about. Because starting in verse 29, it's all about hypocrisy. 
See, God is saying in verse 28 through Jesus there, the sincerity, if you sincerely listen to God's will, if you sincerely follow his word, you'll be blessed. The problem is a lot of times we don't. What do we do? Jump ahead to Luke 12, please, verse 1. Luke 12, verse 1 says, In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. What you have spoken in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Now, verses 2 and 3 kind of sound scary. Can you imagine those things that you've mumbled under your breath being proclaimed to everybody to hear? Can you imagine those thoughts that you've had in your head being proclaimed for everybody to hear? Can you imagine the actions you take in the darkness being brought to light? Now, that's kind of scary. But it shouldn't be, because go back to Luke 11, verse 28. If you're hearing God's will and you're keeping the word of God, then you have nothing to be ashamed of. See, that's the point. You have nothing to scurry when the flashlights come on and shine on your life You have nothing to hide from because you're doing God's will and you're keeping the word of God. The only time we see those verses there in verses 2 and 3 where that makes us nervous of, oh my goodness, all my sins are going to be revealed. Why? Because I know that I have sin. See, we're talking about a sincere heart here. If we're sincerely seeking God, it limits those areas of our life that are in darkness. It doesn't make us perfect, but it limits it. This hypocrisy is everywhere. I was talking to somebody recently, and one of the problems they had with the church, with the body of Christ, is they said the church is full of hypocrites. And I said, I didn't disagree. I said, you're actually talking to one of the biggest hypocrites you know. Jesus talked about hypocrisy more than anybody. I mean, go, if you ever want to do a study, look at how many times Jesus talks about hypocrites. Hypocrites all over the place. But the difference is, I may be a hypocrite sometimes, but I also know who Jesus is, and I know who my, what my sin is. And God helped me to be a better man and father. So, there is hypocrisy in the church, and that's what Jesus is trying to deal with there. And the way we deal with it is a sincere seeking of God's will and a sincere seeking of his word. Those are our two stepping stones to now this. Verse 29, please. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. For as amazing as Jesus is, he is really horrible at PR. Look at verse 29. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, okay, he's got a full house. A full house. This is the time to proclaim things. This is the time to really build the ministry. So he has a full house. And what's the first thing he says? This is an evil generation. That is a really dumb PR move. But if you look at the teachings of Jesus, anytime he got a big group, he always taught a hard lesson. Because Jesus is not interested in numbers. He's interested in hearts. Same thing still sticks around today. You see churches are only interested in numbers. So let's just water down the gospel message. Let's not talk about hell. Let's not talk about sin. And let's just get as many people to come as we can. No. We have an opportunity here to speak truth. And that's what needs to be spoken. Jesus comes right out and says, This is an evil generation. They want signs. 
We talked about that last week. Jump back, if you will, to uh, verse 16 of Luke 11. Others testing him sought from him a sign from heaven. We talked about those guys last week. We talked about the whatabouts. Well, what about this? What about that? They always have these rabbit trails they want you to chase down. They're not really looking for truth. Jesus says, you want signs? He says this, I've raised the dead. I've cast out the demons. The mute can speak. The deaf can hear. I've walked on water. I've calmed the storm. That's not enough. See, and there's also going to be those people that are always going to be, it's not enough. We talked about them last week too. They're not enough. That's not enough. We need to see one more sign. It's not enough. Yeah, you've done all those things. Jesus reaches a point where he says, no, we're done. He says, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so I will be three days and three nights in the center of the earth. The last sign I will give you is I will die on the cross, and three days later I will rise from the dead. So when somebody comes up to me in the present-day world, and they have a problem with Jesus, and they're saying, well, how do I know God exists? I always point them towards creation. And number two, I always say, what about the grave? The grave's empty. Now, it's hard to believe Easter is only about, what, four or five weeks away. And the thing we celebrate on Easter is what? An empty tomb. That's the greatest sign God gave us. The tomb is empty. That's why we get to celebrate. So with that being said, he says, that's the sign I'm going to give you. Verse 30 is Jonah. And he gives two Old Testament examples here. Verse 31, the queen of the south. If you want to study that out some more, it's found in 1 Kings 10. The queen of the south was a very powerful woman. She heard about who Solomon was. And so she came to where Solomon was, and the Bible says she asked every question she could think of, and Solomon answered every one. And then we also have the story of Jonah with Nineveh. The city of Nineveh repented in verse 32. The greatest revival the world has ever seen. Hundreds of thousands of Ninevites came to know the Lord. And these were awful people. These were the people that when they defeated their enemy, they would take their skulls and make pyramids out of them. Awful people. They came to know Christ. Basically what Jesus is saying is, listen, the queen of the south put effort into it, came down to Solomon, learned about God, walked away blessed. The people of Nineveh heard the preaching of Jonah, repented, got saved, and walked away blessed. You guys are standing right here with the Savior standing in front of you, and it's not enough. He goes, you'll be judged for that. That's not being mean. That's being honest. See, the problem is we take honesty sometimes as rudeness on God's part. For thousands of years, he said, I love you, I care for you, but your sin has to be dealt with. They chose to reject. Verse 33, No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. Matthew 5.16 says that we are called the light of the world. It's our responsibility as Christians to shine for Christ. Now, according to this passage that we just read in verse uh, 33, who lights the lamp? God does. I can't light my own lamp. God lights the lamp. And then it's my responsibility as a lamp to shine for the Lord. But it's also part of my responsibility to make sure that that light is burning as bright as possible. See, we're building up to this hypocrisy. We know a lot of people whose lamp has been lit, and it's pretty dim. We have a responsibility to say, what are we doing here to make sure that we're shining brightly? The answer is found in verse 34. It's what we allow into our life 
that determines how bright the light shines. If we allow good into our life, the light is bright. If we allow bad into our life, the light grows dim. That word for good and bad that you find in verse 34 in the Greek is actually a health term. It's healthy and diseased. So what that's really saying is this. Verse 34, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is diseased, your body is also full of darkness. Now, when you look at it from that perspective, everything I do in life either helps me become a healthy spiritual man or becomes a diseased spiritual man. Now, we think of the big things, the big diseases. Well, we would never do things like that. We'd never rob a bank. We would never go out and hurt somebody. You know, we think of all those big things and we say, look at me, I'm staying away from that. Yeah, but what about the little diseases that come in? What about sometimes the movie selections we make or the music selections or the websites we choose to go to? What about the conversations we choose to have? See, it's those things that are done in secret that bring little disease into my spiritual life, which actually causes more harm than I can ever imagine. It's those little diseases that eat away at my spiritual light and I become dim. Turn, if you will, with me to Proverbs 9. Let's do a little tour of Proverbs here. Proverbs 9. Let's talk about those little things that we don't see. Those little diseases that sneak in that we allow. Those are the things that God says, those deeds done in darkness that need to be brought to light. It's those little things that hurt us. Now, first off, the first verse we're going to here in Proverbs 9. This verse is so true. Proverbs 9, verse 17. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. You know what that verse is saying? It's those things that you do, that you get away with. Boy, those feel good. It's those thoughts you have when the person that really ticks you off walks away. The stuff you would never say out loud to their face. But those thoughts you have as they're leaving, it makes you smile. It's those things you mumble under your breath. The stolen bread is sweet. Sometimes it's those little glances that you see online or the movies or the music that you would never let anybody know that you watch that or you do that. No one ever saw. Stolen bread is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. You like to sneak it because you know you shouldn't have it. But you like to take it. The other day we were traveling somewhere. And all the boys and Dawn and I were in the van. And one of the boys opened up that we had a bag of M&M's at home. Now, one of the big bags, you know, not the little packs, like, you know, whatever bags. My personal opinion is you can't make a bag of M&M's big enough. So they had the bag of M&M's. And I said, we have M&M's at home? And the boy said, yes. And Dawn says, quiet. You weren't supposed to tell me. I said, boys, where are they at? Dawn hid them. Because M&M's are one of those things where, you know, even if you get the five-pound bag, I can knock that down in one football game. You know what I'm saying? You just keep eating it. I firmly believe there will be M&M's in heaven. And so it's... So Dawn's not in here. And she doesn't listen to the lessons anyway. She doesn't care what I have to say. So she's hid them. So I spent the last week looking. I usually know where she hides stuff, and I can't find them. But anyway, stolen water is sweet. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to sin. If I find those M&Ms, I'm eating them, and I will enjoy them, and then I'll feel guilty. But that's the point is verse 17. Stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. We have that moment of, that felt good. Then there's guilt and regret and conviction. But at the moment, it felt good. It's those little diseases that sneak in that cause more problems than we can ever imagine. Turn, if you go to Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18. 
It's the little delicacies. Here in Proverbs 18, verse 8. Now this verse is translated many different ways. Depending on your translation, it may sound totally different than mine. But what I'm going to do here is I'm going to read the New King James. It says in Proverbs 18, 8, The words of a tailbearer are like a tasty truffle, and they go down into the inmost body. What this is actually saying is, gossip is like a little delicacy. It's like a little chocolate treat. And as that person comes up to you and starts saying things they shouldn't be saying, you you, you tell yourself you're not going to have one. But then you have one. And it was so good. And then you have another. And as they just keep opening up and gossiping and saying things, you just keep eating and eating and eating. And next thing you know, the whole plate of chocolate's gone. They're a tasty treat that go down to the inmost body. See, that's what the little diseases of life are like. They're not good. We know they're not good. But they taste so good. And I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to say those words anymore. I'm not going to gossip at work anymore. I'm not going to lose my temper. I'm not going to watch that show anymore. I'm not going to go to that website anymore. I'm not going to do this. Oh, but it's so good. So I'm just going to have one. One turns to two and to three. And next thing you know, you ate the whole plate of diseased, destructive sin. Turn, if you will, to Proverbs 26. One last verse in Proverbs before we move on. Proverbs 26. Proverbs 26, verse 22. The words of a tailbearer are like tasty truffles, and they go down to the inmost body. It's the exact same verse. Now, the reason I did that is for this. Our little rule that we say out here is this. If there's one verse in the Bible, you know it's important. If God chooses to repeat the exact same verse two times, don't you think he's trying to make a point? He's trying to tell you here those little tasty bits of sin are going to disease you. It's going to make your eye diseased. It's going to make you spiritually unhealthy. It's going to dim the light you are for Christ. And so you walk around this miserable existence of half spiritual healthy, half bad diseased. As we've said many times, the most unhappy person in the world is a Christian who knows what they should be doing and are not. Because if you're not saved, you can go to the world and drown your sorrows with whatever you want... And keep sinning to make yourself feel good for a moment. But when you are born again and saved and you want to jump into the disease, you can't enjoy it. You enjoy it for a moment, but then conviction comes in, which is God's loving way to tell you it's going to hurt you. And you can't enjoy it. Because what we're doing is we're taking light that God has lit and we're allowing darkness to come in and cause problems. Jump back if we go to Luke 11. What the Lord does now, let's just revamp this a little bit here. First verses we talked about, keeping God's will and keeping the word of God. Those are two traits of a believer. A sincere believer wants to do God's will and wants to obey the word. And then we talked about how in verses 29 through 32, that this generation that Jesus was talking to just wanted more signs and wonders. He goes, no. The sign and wonder is me standing right in front of you. He says, the reason you're here in verses 33 through 36 is to be a light and a witness for me. How is your light shining? Is it strong or is there hypocrisy in your life? Now, from verse 37 on, he gives two examples of how we can be hypocrites. First one, verse 37. And as he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went and sat down to eat. Now, when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Now, real quick, we've mentioned this before. This passage does not mean that Jesus did not wash his hands. 
It's not like Jesus came in from the outside and his hands were covered in filth and he sat down and eat. What this means is he did not wash his hands the way the Pharisees said you were supposed to wash your hands. Now, you're not going to find this. You can go read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And this is not in there. The Pharisees had a certain process for washing their hands. It had to be done a certain way. And if it was not done a certain way, the Pharisees, not God, said that you were ceremonially unclean. It was hypocrisy. So Jesus came down at their meal and sat down... And everybody starts mumbling to themselves, he didn't wash his hands right. He didn't do it right. He didn't wash his hands. He didn't do it right. Well, Jesus comes on and says right here, verse 39, Then the Lord said to them, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But rather gives alms of such things as you have, then indeed all things are clean to you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. Note the timing and context of when Jesus is speaking. We have a tendency in the culture we have today to say things, well, today's, this is not the time to say it. We need to wait to a better time. Jesus was invited to dinner with them, and as, as he's sitting at their dinner table, he lays into them. He wasn't worried about timing. He was worried about the truth. What were they doing wrong? Verse 39, they looked good on the outside, but inside they were horrible. Hypocrisy. That word hypocrite, and I may have mentioned this earlier, is actually a Greek word that's from the stage. It means actor. It literally means two-faced. This idea that you put one face on when you're on the stage performing the play, and then you take that face off and you put your regular face on when you're done. See, we do the same thing spiritually. It's Sunday. Well, you know, I, I dress a certain way on Sundays. I speak a certain way. I make sure I mention God, and I don't cuss, and I don't talk about certain things because that's what I do on Sunday. But now during the week... You know, I can let my hair down a little bit. That's hypocrisy. See, that's what the Pharisees were doing. They look good on the outside. Inside, they're full of death. They're full of hypocrisy. Look at verse 39. Your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Look good on the outside, but on the inside, they're awful. You know where I'm going to go with this story, but I'm going to share it with you real quick. Earlier this week, we thought it would be a fun experience at the Irvin house to buy a coconut. Now, coconuts are the stupidest thing ever created because the effort you put into it to get what's in it is, well, we'll get to that in a second. So we buy this coconut. So we follow all the rules. You're supposed to put a hole in the top. You stick the straw in. You get the juice out. So we put the hole in the top, stick the straw in. No juice. So there's nothing. We're doing all this stuff. All the boys are around. We're making this some type of fun experience, and there's no juice. So we said, well, let's break the thing open and see what's going on. So if you ever try to break a coconut open, I'm not even going to go there. So you're trying to break this coconut open, and I finally get the biggest knife we have. I'm just like smacking that thing as hard as I can. Finally crack the coconut open. It's all moldy. There's no juice. It's this moldy, disgusting yuck. It was gross. So we took it back to Walmart. And we got a new coconut. Now, I went and picked a new one. Dawn picked the moldy one. I picked the new one. So I took the new one, I shook it, and lo and behold, there's juice. See? Took it home, drilled it, took the juice out, cracked the coconut open, did everything you're supposed to do, and it still was not worth it in any way whatsoever because it's awful. 
point, though, is the first coconut, it looked good. It looked just like all the other coconuts. It was dead and diseased and moldy on the inside. Spiritually speaking, this is exactly what Jesus is saying. These Pharisees looked good. They dressed good. They spoke good. They washed their hands the right way. Verse 42, they tithed their mint and herbs. This would be like going up to lunch today, taking pepper, putting it in your hand, counting out nine for you, one for God. To your pepper, to your salt. They were that legalistic. People would walk by and say, wow, look at the Pharisees. Look how they wash their hands. Look how they tithe their mint and herbs. Look at them. Verse 43, they wanted that attention. But Jesus says in verse 44, you're like a grave. You're like a cemetery. That's an amazing thing about cemeteries. They always look so nice. The laws are always, lawns are always manicured. There's always nice flowers. Everything looks so nice. They're well taken care of. It's a beautiful place that's hiding death and decay. Same thing here at the Pharisees. They looked really good on the outside, but they were hiding death and decay. They were hypocrites. Spiritually speaking, we have Pharisees today. We look good on the outside, but spiritually inside, we're hiding death and decay. We have a legalism that we think is righteousness, and it's not. We think we're very righteous and and holy because verse 42, we tithe our mint and our herbs. We're teaching tithing to the boys. And one of the things that they do is they tithe off the money they have. And so our oldest boy, Elias, is, is very legalistic. And so what happens is he figures up his money. And, for example, he gets like uh, $5 and like $0.52 or something the other day. And so he says, I need to tithe off that. That's what's 10% of that, $0.55. Cents. He goes, well, it's actually, you know, 55 point whatever, too. Well, what do I do? Well, I, I, you can give him $0.56, cents, you know, or you can give him 55 you know. What would you do? Well, I'd give him $0.56. Cents. He thought for a second, well, is God going to give me the point eight back? You know, <laughs> My, my son is a Pharisee. You know, it's, the heart's not there. We have a heart issue we have to work on. Yes, he's got the tithing part down, but now we need to get the heart done. See, that's the Pharisees. They look good on the outside, inside their spiritual death. They have to be addressed. Jesus tells them that. So verse 45, Then one of the lawyers answered and said to him, Teacher, by saying these things, you reproach us also. Now, the lawyers or the scribes, these are people that were well-versed in the law. They were not lawyers like we think of today. These are people that understood Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And if you had a question about the law, you could go to them. Now, verse 45 is one of the dumbest verses in the Bible. What was he thinking? Jesus, it sounds like you're picking on us as two. Verse 46, woe to you also, lawyers. I mean, don't you just envision Jesus sitting at this table, just pointing at everybody. Now, it comes across as mean, but it's actually love. He cared so much about the Pharisees and the lawyers, he's trying to tell them, you don't know me. You're not right with God, even though you think you're right with God. Verse 46, and he said to them, Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you built their tombs. Therefore, the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they kill and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, 
who perish between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who are entering in you hindered. See, the Pharisees had the good outside exterior, but the inside spiritual interior was dead. The scribes and Pharisees, the lawyers, they covered up their hypocrisy with knowledge. No one would ever question them. I mean, how could you question the scribe, the lawyer? I mean, they knew the Bible better than anybody. How, how could you go up and say, guys, you know, you really aren't living life. What do you mean not living the life? According to Exodus, blah, 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 it says this. Have you ever met somebody like that? That their defense is knowledge. Their defense is quoting scripture. Their defense is, we know more than you. So since I know more than you, who are you to question who I am in the Lord or in life? That's also hypocrisy. Jesus said to the scribes and to lawyers, you may know things, but what you're doing, verse 46, is you're putting a burden on them. Look, you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Basically, do what I say, not what I do, is what the scribes and lawyers would say. An example of this is if you were a tailor back in the uh, Old Testament or New Testament times also, and you weren't allowed to do any work on the Sabbath, sundown Friday to a sundown Saturday. And so you weren't allowed to do any work. Well, what happened is tailors would carry around their big, long sewing needles. Well, the scribes and lawyers started making rules, saying, well, you know what? Just in case you would accidentally forget to take the needle out of your pocket on the Sabbath, and you would carry the needle around, which would be work, that you have to, on Thursday, take the needle out of your pocket. That's just a burden they put on. And so what would happen is, if you were carrying the needle around on Thursday, you would get in trouble. Well, you're not allowed to do that. Well, no, that's not in the Bible. That's a rule they made up that was a burden they put on. Nothing was ever good enough for them. Have you ever met somebody spiritually? You're never going to be good enough for them. You never listen to enough Christian music. You never read the Bible enough. You never pray enough. You never witness enough. You never serve enough. It's a burden. That's a burden that people put on. And what I've noticed with people that are legalistic... They are some of the most unjoyful people in the world. They can never have joy in others because the other people are never doing good enough. And they can never have joy in themselves because deep down inside they know they can't live up to the standard they set for themselves. What a joyless existence to have. These guys, verses 47, 48, and 49, they would honor the prophets. And Jesus said, wait a second. Your ancestors who were just like you killed those same prophets. That's hypocrisy. You're honoring the prophets that you would kill because you disagree with them. That's hypocrisy. The Pharisees looked good on the outside, dead on the inside. The scribes and lawyers had the shield of knowledge that people would never mess with them because, well, they're scribes and Pharisees. They know so much. What would happen to them? They're all hypocrites. Look at verse 52. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering in you hindered. So you knew what to do, but you did not do it yourself. And you actually hindered people from going deeper in their walk in relationship with the Lord. Hypocrisy. Now, with that being said, what's the response? Verse 53, and as he said these things to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. See, that shows their heart. 
See, the Bible uses this term called scoffer, and we don't use it in our present-day English too much. But what a scoffer is, is somebody, when you come present truth to them, you present wisdom to them, they scoff at the idea of it, and they don't want it. Someone's going through a difficult time. Their life is falling apart, so you go to them and say, listen, you can make better choices in life. Back to our first point. Do the will of God, keep the Bible. They scoff at that. Who are you to know anything? Who are you to say anything? They scoff. See, these scribes, lawyers, Pharisees, they could have heard what Jesus said, hit their knees and said, he's right. They didn't. Verse 53, verse 54, they wanted to argue. Have you ever had a discussion like that? Where you try to go in love to someone and you try to address a delicate situation and instead of that person hearing and listening, it turns into, well, you do this. See, that's what the scribes and lawyers did. You go up to someone, you say, listen, can, can you really watch what you say? Because, you know, we don't want to have those type of words around here. Well, I've heard you cuss before. Well, hey, can you watch what you're doing here? Because we're really trying to create a good work environment, and let's let go of all that anger and bitterness. Well, I've seen you complain about things before. That's the scribes and the Pharisees. So they start attacking Jesus. Verse 53, and what they were trying to do is they just start throwing questions at him, left and right. Well, what about this, and what about that? Verse 54, trying to get him to say something he shouldn't. See, because when you're a hypocrite, the Pharisees, eventually that death and decay will come out. When you're the scribe and the lawyer, the hypocrite of knowledge, eventually your lifestyle will come out. And so they're trying to trip Jesus up. Instead of saying, there's things we need to work on, and the Messiah is here to help us, it turns into, well, what about you? And what about you? Think about that. Have you ever had those type of conversations with people? You never get anything accomplished because it just turns into, well, you do this. Well, you do that. Seriously. What a unspiritual, dare I say, immature place to be. Boy, God help us to want the truth. To, to get through those layers of hypocrisy, to get through those layers of fakeness, and get to the root problems of our lives that need to be fixed. The innermost being that needs to be taken care of. Because we can all look good on Sundays. We can all look good when we run into somebody from church. We can all look good here and there. But let's get down to the heart of the matter and say, Okay, Lord, you have lit this lamp inside of me. Am I allowing good, healthy things in to make this lamp stronger? Or am I allowing bad, diseased things into my life to make it worse? Am I the Pharisee? No one would ever question me spiritually because I always look so good and say the right things. Am I the scribe and the lawyer? No one would ever question me because I can quote a verse just like that and my knowledge and wisdom intimidates them. doesn't intimidate Jesus. He'll sit right at your dinner table and tell you that. Get to the heart of the matter because that's what matters is where are we at in Christ? Back to that conversation I was having with somebody when they said the church is full of hypocrites. We are. But hopefully we're hypocrites that see the problems that need to be addressed and that we're moving forward in our relationship with Christ and say, listen, I am wrong. I have wronged you. I have sinned. I'm sorry. And let's move forward. Get to the healthy part. And let's move forward in a walking relationship with Christ. Last thing I want to do here is, can you turn to Psalm 55? This is what I want to close with. Psalm 55, please. Pharisees and Sadducees, I should say more correctly, the scribes and lawyers, Jesus condemned them for putting burdens on people. 
that phrase burdens really hit me. Because don't we walk around in life a lot of times burdened? We're burdened by our own failures. We're burdened by our past choices. We're burdened by our sinful desires. We're burdened by everything. And so what happens is instead of feeling that we can come to church, that we can come to Christ and be healed and fixed and lifted up, we feel like if we come to church, those Christians are just going to throw one more burden on us. As we've said many times, the world seems to know what Christianity stands against more than what we stand for. The way Jesus described Christianity is, you will know you're my disciples by your what? Love. First John 4, 8, God describes himself with one word. God is love. Now, love does not ignore sin. Love loves you enough to deal with sin head on. But we have to be careful that we as Christians aren't burdening people. Rather, we're there to point them towards Christ who helps lift the burdens off their life. Listen, we all work with somebody, live with somebody, go to school with somebody that is burdened. Their life is falling apart in front of us. We have the answer as the lamp that has been lit by Christ to shine for them, to point them towards the answer that is Christ. You're going to run into this week dozens, scores, maybe hundreds of people in whatever occupation or life you have. Every single one of them is an opportunity for you to shine for the Lord and to point them towards the answer in Christ that will then lift a burden off of them. Look at this, Psalm 55, verse 22. Such a simple verse. Cast your burden on the Lord, and He shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. What a blessing that is. Lord, I can take every burden I have in life, every fear, every worry, every anxious thought, I can place that burden on you, and you can take that with peace. What a deal. Lord, every sin that brings me down, all those little diseased things in my life that are causing me problems, I can give you that burden, and you can give me victory. What an amazing thing that is, that we can cast our burdens on the Lord and He sustains us, He helps us, He loves us, He forgives us. If you are here this morning and you are struggling, and this week has been a burden, this month, this year, this life has been a burden, take Psalm 55, 22, write it down, stick it on your fridge, put it in your car, remind yourself every day, the Lord carries my burdens for me and He sustains me. That's what we need to remember. Why would we want to do these things on our own? Why? Let the Lord do all the heavy lifting and let Him take care of it. Matthew 11 says this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what Jesus wants to do. He's not here to throw one more burden on you. If anything, he's here to lift those things off your shoulders. If the uh, people that are going to be doing the final worship song want to come forward here, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for that. I pray that for me personally, and I pray that for us corporately as a church. Those burdens be lifted. But Lord, in our free will choice, that we willfully choose to have those burdens be lifted. Lord, we are all have moments of hypocrisy in all that we do and say. Forgive us for that. We don't want to be the Pharisees. We don't want to be the scribes. We want to be sincerely following you in the truth, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. And we love you. And we lift this.